0: It's sports staff to, to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now.
1: Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And today on the show, Sam Esmail makes his triumphant return to The Watch with me and Andy Greenwald and Kyle McMullen on this episode as we talk about our favorite TV shows of the year. It's one of my favorite episodes to do every year. Sam has been so gracious with his time uh, coming to tell us about how we are wrong about TV every year, so let's get right into it. Sam Esmail on the best shows of the year. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile for more details.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach.
1: It's the return of Sam Esmail, one of the Big Picture's best guests, to his home (laughs) on the Ringer Podcast Network. This is so sweet. The Watch Podcast. It's our annual best of television podcast that we do with Sam. We've done it three, four years now. How many years in a row have we done this? I don't remember.
3: Four? Four? Four, Yeah. That feels right.
1: Sam, it's Andy, it's Kaya, it's Chris. We're going to do it a little bit differently this year because I think in the previous years, what's happened is... We've done this very expansive, like kind of state of television conversation at the beginning. And that goes on for a while. And then we do a very long, like, well, my number 10 was this. And that's actually my number seven. That's actually my number three. And we go back and forth. I think that there's a lot of overlap in all of our lists this year. So what we're going to do is we're going to have this conversation about the state of television. We have a bunch of topics we want to hit. And within those topics, we're going to talk about a lot of the shows that are on all of our lists. And then at the very end of the pod... We'll just list off our our shows, but we are obviously going to be posting on our Twitter accounts and on the Facebook account and everywhere else our list. So you can just refer to them throughout the show. You can know where we're coming from. So anyway, hello to Andy and Kaya. I see you all the time. But Sam, welcome. Welcome back to where you belong.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank you. That was such a warm welcome. How are you guys doing?
0: We're really happy to to see you, Sam, because much like HBO Max, you have been pulled from the big screen to where (laughs) we feel you work best. (laughs) The tiny Zoom windows with us. I think that's the right way to begin a conversation about the year in television. That
3: is such a beautiful metaphor. By the way, let me just start off by saying, and I think I I texted you this a couple of times throughout the year. Great fucking year for TV. Great fucking year. I've I've complained about the state of TV for the past couple of seasons, past couple of years. But I thought this year is tough. It was tough to get top ten. I have a bunch of honorable mentions. I don't know if we'll have time to get to that. But it was really tough to squeeze it in, and honestly, I'm still there's still shows coming out. I keep reading about uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Maniac Cop series. I don't know if any, I'm excited to see that. I don't know if that's coming out in 2020. But uh, for as shit of a year it has been, I think TV really. Um, I mean it. It transcended in a lot of ways, and we're going to talk about because there's some shows on my list that. Some people are going to call movies and, you know, some people are going to call sandwiches and we're going to have that conversation, but also given what is going on with movies, going on the streamers, it's like the lines have never been blurred. And I personally, I know there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of critics out there about what's going on with HBO Max, including, including your friends, Sean and Amanda. Haters
1: and the- losers.
3: <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I think it's silly when I keep reading on social that i don't want to see dune on my couch great go fucking see it in the theater if you think it's safe enough to go see it in the th- no one's telling me not to see it in the theater this is just another option for people to see it. and and the, the 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 whole the whole kind of uh you know sort of hysteria over the the death of movie theaters to me this is like i welcome movie theaters need to earn my money better then this dumb theatrical window exclusivity thing that is honestly just has never been a compelling argument to get people to force them into the theories, especially with all the options they have now at home. So anyway, I can go on a rant about this. I know we're talking about TV, but my point is the lines have never been more blurred between the two. I, I had this conversation about bad education. I don't know if you guys have seen
0: that. Yeah, uh, the Hugh the, Jackman movie. No. Fucking great it.
3: movie. But it's a TV movie. At the Emmys, is it not going to be at the Oscars, even though the Oscars are taking in, you know, films that premiere on streamers? This is the interesting question that I think we're going to uh, tackle from now on. And I, I personally find that great. I find it great that we can finally be sort of platform agnostic when we talk about uh, great storytelling like this. So.
0: Well, I'm interested in hearing you take that tax in because I think that a lot of people may have interpreted your career and your opinions as being slightly different, which is to say, you brought a lot of cinema to the small screen in how you approached, how you broke, how certainly how you shot Mr. Robot and Homecoming. And I think one takeaway from that, and apparently incorrect one, was that forget TV, you're going to bring movies to TV. But what you're suggesting is that it's all going in through the same tubes and on the same box they should all just be elevated, right? Like the quality is the quality. And you're not, you're, you're increasingly, you're not distinguishing between the two.
3: Absolutely not. Uh, I'm going to talk about this in one of my, one of my picks, but to, to say that TV is a writer's medium now, to be honest with you, I've, I've always found that argument a little bogus. It's never been a writer's medium. It's a, it's a filmmaking medium. And that doesn't mean that's a director's medium. It's, A writer is a filmmaker, a a director is a filmmaker, a costume designer is a filmmaker, performers are a filmmaker. you got to use all the tools at your disposal. This is a visual medium and you're trying to use every inch of that frame to tell your story. And so back in the day, maybe it was just documenting dialogue that was written on the page and that's it. No dollies, no movement, no stylistic shots or anything like that. But those days are gone. And now we're actually using, um, you know, and to even call it TV is a little odd, right? You know, is Netflix TV? I mean, just because it outputs on the TV, I don't, I don't know anymore. But for me, it's just I feel like we don't need to have that debate between TV and movies anymore. That that's what's exciting to me. It it doesn't matter. It's we're watching great storytelling, and whether it's an, and we're gonna debate this too, right? whether it's an episodic storytelling format like a TV series, or like a Marvel fucking cinematic universe, or or whether it's a self-contained movie with chapters like a Tarantino film, or if it's like Small Axe where it's an anthology of films and some of them are two hours and some of them are now i mean, it, you know, for me, it, like again, the lines being blurred are. Honestly, the best thing for the industry because I think we're gonna the, the definitions are gonna lose value, and we've I've always hated the labels anyway. Um, so ultimately, I think we're just going in a great direction. Personally. I hope
1: that this is your announcement that you're going to Kevin Feige and you're pitching the MCFU, the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Fucking Universe, and it's well, ju- it's just like all the other Marvel stuff except people say fucking all the time.
3: well look I I mean look. let's you know if you want to have that conversation it's fucking Thanos
0: (laughs) (laughs) so Sam going back to the first thing you said which was which was heartening to hear because I think we all agree this was unquestionably an awful year on earth (laughs) <laughs> but TV was really good. And I think Chris and I were They both... were killing it on the
1: moon, though. It was great. <laughs> they had From World Earth mankind. to the Moon. You know? S- season three renewal.
0: <laughs> I think Chris and I were curious if your own experience living through this year played a part in your affection for the TV that you saw. Do you think that you were watching TV differently? Were you consuming more of it in different ways or appreciating it more? Or purely on a, a quality basis? It was just higher in your eyes this year.
3: I I, I think the latter. I mean, I look, I, I watch, I try and watch something at least once a day and that didn't change. Even when I was in the middle of shooting Mr. Robot or homecoming or, or if I'm just writing or during the pandemic, it, it was, a, I at least try and get one episode in of something a day, if not two or a movie or something. So for me, it wasn't about my viewing habits. It, honestly, I just, the amount of, and we're going to talk again, when we get into the list, we'll talk about, but the amount of unique points of views and the experimentation that was going on and and all the things that I just talked about in terms of redefining what storytelling can be to the point where people legitimately don't know what to call it, a a movie, a TV movie, a a series. So for me, it's just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what happened, but something about all of the past years of my frustrations with TV sort of bubbled up to the surface and you know, this honestly segues nicely, and if we want to talk about this, into uh, I believe I angrily texted you, uh, <laughs> Andy about the fact that you got, you and Chris for sort of encouraging uh, television shows to be more like expensive screensavers that you can fold
0: laundry That's in exactly
1: what we were saying It's uh, a direct and,
0: quote No, it's good <laughs> Yeah. And 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 weirdly a couple of Newsmax weeks after S-Mail
1: that, has logged into the chat.
0: And, and by the way, Flying Toasters was just greenlit straight to series on Paramount Plus. So Um
3: listen, I've heard this argument before. I mean, and you guys were making the argument and then a couple of arguments. You guys
1: I you guys, I've recently are pitched this I pitched Casey Bloys on a half-hour sitcom that's just the sound of a MacBook going on. <laughs> um, and it's just that over and over again it,
3: it's it's honestly it's just dis- that to me was a disheartening part about the last couple of years that there, there there is this weird tendency for certain shows to just occupy my time it is not going to transport me to anywhere it's not going to transform my way of looking at the world it's not trying to do anything other than be this mild sedative entertainment value on my TV while I do other things. And there's a New Yorker article about it, You know, say what you will about the article, because I think it's been, a. I mean, it's not a new phenomenon here. I think TV was sort of came out of, was born out of this need to preoccupy people so they can sell laundry detergent in between, uh, in, in between acts. So for me, I was concerned that somehow the pendulum was sort of swinging back that way because I started to feel that the rise of this sort of kind of this sort of laid back, low drama, low conflict storytelling. But again, I think twenty twenty exceeded my expectations, and pendulum sort of swung back. But what you guys tell me? Because that that's the argument I heard. I, I, I mean, I angrily threw my AirPods down on the ground, <laughs> stomped them, I had to buy a new pair. So I could <laughs> call you, and uh, 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 but you tell me what was your position? Because I mean, I heard laundry folding that's when I stopped
0: listening to
1: the. To, to yeah. The I can't remember that's what I on show subscribe. we were talking about.
0: I think actually it was when we were talking about watching baseball. I think that was <laughs> the thing because we, but, but to be fair, we were saying, that hurts, was
3: that, that that
0: it was because was, I think we were talking about watching the playoffs and kind of missing the rhythms of commercials and old fashioned TV watching where you could get up, go to the, during the commercial break, not during exposition scenes and maybe get some more bugles or whatever you're snacking on that night and then return. And it felt less stakesy because I think the the elevation of TV storytelling to a cinematic level of both uh, skill and intensity is unquestionably a good thing. But TV's in our homes and we have different days leading into our time in our homes and we don't always want to be as completely magnetically stressily riveted. Not always. There's there are many different options for us on our TV boxes.
1: Kaya, that's and right. I think right. That were was... we talking about
4: baseball? Yeah, no, yeah, I think you guys were talking about <laughs> baseball and just like long periods of time when you have the TV on yeah. and you're just kind of like wandering in and out of the wait, room. wait, wait.
3: No, I know what you were talking about. You were you know what you were doing? You were dissing on Fargo. That 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 now I'm remembering. Um, you were dissing on Fargo. That's right. There was a yes. lot of like
0: You were saying we liked watching commercials on baseball more than (laughs) at times.
3: And, and, you know, Andy, you already know this, but I'm a huge fan of this season. It's on my list. We'll, we'll get to it in a second. And for me to look at a a show as technically precise as that show in terms of, well, I, you know, I, the laundry list is long on that show because everything is so dialed in and so beautiful to look at and the rhythm and the music and the, dialogue is so crackling and it wasn't uh, you know and you do have to fucking pay attention you're gonna get lost and by the way i am guilty of that i i don't think if you miss a scene of mr i don't there's you're not going to come back next week and understand mr robot like it's not going to happen i think that's a good thing i don't think that's a bad thing and i hope i hope i pray to god that your wishes for tv never come true because <laughs> okay. I, 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 i i hated tv when it was like, it doesn't matter. You watch this episode or the next, who gives a shit? Like it all doesn't make sense. I think we're my just, point
0: is, just, if we just can be- We're taking
3: up 43 minutes of your time every week. That's all, who cares?
0: I, I think my point is that that type of TV has never gone away, isn't going away. And we generally don't ever discuss it, nor do yeah. we ever even experience it because we don't, turn on the TV like we In fact so we, we often are like, like
1: that. that was fine we don't need to even interrogate it like I I think that was uh, for a show that probably you know a lot of our listeners adored like Ted Lasso Ted Lasso was a show that I feel like Andy you pretty much were like nah I don't want cuz c- for exactly that reason because you were like this feels like laundry folding to TV
0: It didn't say that specifically but it's funny you mention that because the night I tried Ted Lasso all the laundry in my house got done. And so my (laughs) wife wants me to watch it more. And I said, no, 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 I have to stay focused. This is part of my job. I I think charitably, and this might be kind of a a hard thing to get my arms around. I kind of think, Sam, the things that you've been saying so far in this podcast are all part of the same point, which was this year, it did feel kind of surprisingly like TV rebalanced itself. We've spent the last few years saying You know, the highs were really high, but it was mostly kind of a a mushy middle. There were shows that were a lot. A lot of shows were B, B minus shows, which are which would have been A's 20 years ago. But we got spoiled by the shows of the previous decade. And looking over my list and and everybody's list, it does seem like there's a lot of high quality stuff in a lot of different lanes. Like half of my list are event series limited series, and the other half aren't. And of the half that aren't, there's a silly comedy. And there's also a, you know, prestige drama, not just in the style of the previous decades, but literally the successor to it in Better Call Saul. So it does feel weirdly like it kind of figured itself out in a year when everything else completely fell apart.
1: Yeah. And I think, Sam, to your point about I, I too, I think, watch something every day in some capacity at the end of every day. I, I, I actually like it was probably the highlight of my day during quarantine, which we are still in, which is basically getting through my workday, eating dinner, and then finally being able to like go somewhere else in a screen. And a lot of the shows that I picked, I think, um, in some ways, overcompensated for my lack of experience this year. Like, sensory-wise, like, like, we didn't have any experiences that I, I didn't this year worth noting. You know, I mostly was was home. I saw a few friends and didn't really go anywhere. So a lot of the shows that I watched or that I loved basically were very transporting. Not necessarily, in a like watching The Expanse and it go to another planet way. But in a, you know, watching industry and watching people go out at night and be close to one another and do drugs and go to work and and have consequences to all that stuff to me was like very invigorating in a way that I don't even know if it would have been in 2019 and hopefully won't be in 2021, which isn't to take away from the quality of the show, which is immense. And we've talked about a lot, but I think I was looking for something at the end of the day, whether it was light and airy or heavy and dark that kind of like made up for the lack of stuff that I actually, you know, did this year.
3: Well, I'll say I'll, I'll add another thing to this I don't know I don't I didn't count it on your list but I only have two returning shows on my list one of them <laughs> is an anthology so it's a whole new storyline anyway I do love the just to even keep going further down this road of how TV is sort of transforming itself I do love this trend of shorter seasons like not not shorter I mean I do love shorter seasons but I also love the trend of less seasons per series. Mm-hmm. We're going to wrap it up. We have a story. It's a, it's intentional. We have a beginning, middle, and end. And you know, maybe three seasons, four seasons, and we're out. I feel like that trend is again hewing closer to a more intentional, precise form of storytelling. That we're not here to just preoccupy twenty-two hours a year of your time. That we're here to tell a very Intentional story, and we don't know. And and maybe they maybe showrunners are going to be encouraged to start planning things out ahead of time when before they uh shoot seasons, uh, shoot seasons of their show or 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 even start to write or break their first season. But for me, I think that that's incredibly, I don't know what that is yet. I don't know what that is. And again, when when we go through our list, the forms of all these shows like Fargo and Small Acts all vary now, and the format's going to get played around a lot. But I love this contraction of, let's not do fluff seasons. Let's not do like, uh, you know, seven or eight, that that whole old antiquated way of thinking of going as far as long as you can or as far as you can is kind of like outdated now. I, I kind of like the encouragement of keeping it tighter.
0: I think it's worth noting that, and I agree, I agree with everything you're saying and I look at my list, there are only three shows that were returning out of the 10. It's worth noting that we, the list would have looked a lot different had there not been a pandemic, because we were robbed of uh, 2020 premieres for the returns of a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. Probably the debuts of shows we don't, we're not That's even aware true. of yet, too. But, you know, there's no succession. Uh, all of our favorite show, I know. Um, <laughs> like, Barry probably would have come back. Like, a lot of shows that have been on, Atlanta may have been ready this year. We're not sure about that. But a lot of favorite shows that were, were, were stuck on the shelf. But I do think, to your point, Sam, that, like, it is definitely no longer one-size-fits-all. That's only a good thing creatively, and I think ultimately for the viewer, since we're already talking about the aesthetic changes of television and cinema and television, why don't we start with this? So, Sam, when you sent in uh, your list, one of the first things that jumped out, and probably this isn't surprising because of your own uh, CV, was that a number of the shows were, like your shows, Mr. Robot and Homecoming, were all directed by one person. So those shows on your list are your number nine show queen's gambit your number four show which is small acts a collection of he calls them films steve mcqueen and your number two show devs and we sort of on on email kind of said fargo i know was directed by uh, noah and some of his collaborators but it's you could kind of squeeze that in too if you want to talk about it because there's no question that that show isn't completely aesthetically controlled by the taste of one person so You've worked on TV this way. Now you're seeing more and more people do it this way. What does it bring? Why did it elevate these shows?
3: Um, well, this is—I is, hinted to this a little bit earlier when I said that this is not a writer's medium. This is a filmmaker's medium. And, and again, I, I want to be very careful here because I think Fincher always talks about this, and I 1,000% agree. I am not into this auteur theory. There's not one person does not make. A film and one person certainly does not make uh, a television series. But if you take a look at like Queen's Gambit, let's just, let's talk about Queen's Gambit. I think we, we're all, fan-
0: was it on everyone's list? It was, yeah, right? I believe so, yeah. right? I think that's the only one that was on all four lists.
1: It's Kaya's number six. It's uh, Andy's number two. And it is my number five.
0: Um, Great. Actually, industry is the only other show that's on everybody's list. I think. Mm-hmm.
3: No, I think I may destroy you again. That was the. Oh right. That
0: was right. that was
3: correctly everyone's number one except Chris. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that in a second. But um, uh, so, so you take a take a show like Queen's Gambit.
1: Tell the readers of Life how it feels and to be a girl among all those men.
4: I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. You're an orphan, Beth. I'm fine being alone. I feel safe in an entire world of just 64 squares. How well, Creativity and psychosis often go hand in hand. Or for that matter. Genius and madness.
3: Everything was synchronized to a cohesive vision on that show. I mean, you you guys have talked about. I don't want to like rehash, but the everything from the costume design, from the from uh, from Beth's outfits looking like chess pieces to the production design, the lighting. I I can go on. Um, and and obviously Scott Frank being the writer and director of it all. But for me, this is this is what was beautiful about. uh, You know, proof positive that. If you if you take the medium for what it what it can bring to the screen, if you use all of those levers and it doesn't sacrifice the writing, it enhances the writing, enhances the storytelling. You're going to get something really cohesive and outstanding, like The Queen's Gambit. And then, of course, the one thing I'm going to say about that show is Anya Taylor Joy. I mean, I mean, she is. On, I mean, there's another uh, standout performance that I, I want to highlight. At some point when we talk about that show, but this performance to me, I mean, it just it it it, it was to play withdrawn, to play with using a lot of facial expressions, not a lot of dialogue. You know, that's a very tricky thing. A lot of people cannot access characters like that. Trust me, I know we played <laughs> around with it a lot, Mister Robot, even in *Oncoming*. That's a hard thing for an actor to pull off. Not only did she pull it off, it was inviting. It was warm. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to hang with her. Um, and I did not want to fold laundry or do the dishes. I could not take my eyes off of her. So she, she, that show, to me, just brilliantly sort of exemplifies what I'm talking about, how TV, and, and by the way, it needed to be episodic. I know that the book went through some incarnations. And I think, again, you guys have talked about this. It would have been a a disservice to the to the book if they if they turned it into a two hour feature film. So it is just the prime example of what great episodic storytelling, TV TV storytelling, however you want to call it, works when all of the sort of departments and everyone comes together for a, a cohesive vision.
0: I couldn't agree more with that. And and, and the, I mean, what's so brilliant about that show is that it, what Scott Frank gets, gets the lion's share of the credit, but I think more than anything else, what he did was uh, he he conducted it like a symphony all the departments you know it was all in concert in a beautiful way and we, we spoke to him about that when he was on the show wanted to just as a quick counter before we move on to other subject bring up devs
4: what is devs this is the only principle you need to understand nothing ever happens without a reason everything was determined by something prior you knew I was going to come here
3: the sense that you were participating in life
4: was only ever an illusion. Life is just something we watch unfold.
0: Which is a show that we covered pretty exhaustively on the podcast. I, it would have made a long list, I think, probably for at least me and Chris, had we done a longer list. But I'm wondering, for me, ultimately what, where I felt it faltered was the script and the story. It was totally transporting as a directorial exercise by Alex Garland. Do you, I, you may just reject that premise outright, but I was wondering if it's, it's high placement on your list had something to do with the, the level of execution purely of the visuals, and if that is ever enough for you.
3: No, it was a storytelling. I gotta be honest with you. I can't, and again, I'm probably gonna get crucified and pre- people are gonna throw out great examples like Arrival and, and I'm sure other sci-fi films that I, uh, I'm not thinking of right now. But this is one of the best pieces of sci-fi storytelling. I have seen in a long time because it was not reliant on set pieces. It was reliant on fucking conversations about determinism. I mean, this, and it was dramatic I mean, and entertaining. To be fair, so is this podcast, tough- <laughs> <but> go on. <laughs> um, uh, that scene when Alison Pill is talking about how this is happening right now and you know every choice that we, you've seen every choice that's about to happen, yet you're still going to make those choices
1: Game, uh, the one, on the, the yes. one yeah, on the dam? Yes.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That was that was a great scene. I mean, I, there are, uh, the Chinese centuries scene in the bathtub with that um and I can't that guy was great, the guy who played the security guard. I can't I can't remember his name. Uh I, I there are so many great moments in that uh show, but it's pure sci-fi. I mean, it does not pull punches in terms of the intellect, it does not uh water anything down, it does not try and hit you with any gotcha twists or anything. It really honestly wanted to explore uh, this idea of free will and predestination in the most interesting and intellectual way, but never sacri- it never was boring to me. It always sucked me in. I mean, it was one of those shows, I mean, we're gonna talk about this to a certain extent, but one of the reasons why I got excited about TV this year is nothing really piled up on, on a lot of these shows. When it fucking came on my Hulu thing, I fucking play. I couldn't wait. I was waiting for the minutes to count So that down.
1: didn't did. Were there shows like that though, where you were like, uh, I'm I'm not so sure if I want. To, I mean, you don't have to name them if you don't want to. But like, did you? Were there some yeah, shows that maybe course. you started the thought home, they were homework good?
3: shows? Yeah, and yes. then they became homework. Well, if I if it became homework, I usually I usually that was when just I checked out. I don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't try and force myself to get through something unless I think there's a couple elements in there where I'm like hoping and praying that they pull it out. But usually, and there was one show that I really had high promise for, and I really don't want to name names. But man, it started off strong. And then,
0: yeah. And then I usually bail after a while when I'm like- Sam, we agreed we wouldn't talk about Patch on this podcast. <laughs> um, to the, to the Finally, other three- We are three... not allowed to talk
3: about Patch. <laughs> I know, I know. The love. other,
0: uh, one thing that you three, Kaya, Chris, and Sam all have in common is there are a beloved genre of rom-coms on everybody's list, yes. hell yeah, brother! Um, I know Sam is chomping at the bit because people might not realize this. Sam loves rom coms. This is I true. Uh, John
3: Roberts, come on!
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, wait, what classic rom com, just... Homecoming. <laughs> You, <laughs> you definitely were like, time to use those chops again.
3: By the way, I am envious. I wish I could do uh, uh, an amazing rom-com. but I, Homecoming
1: I would, I... happens in the My Best Friend's Wedding extended universe. <laughs> little re, re, it little does, known it fact. It does.
3: It does, um, it does yeah. Oh, I mean, that's my true,
1: because of called. Dermot,
0: right. Yeah. Um, that was not an nice accident, Andy. So I, I'm just looking at Kaya's list, and she's got... Search Party's not a rom-com, but it is a half hour. Uh, Love Life at 7... Normal people, there's some com, a lot of rom. There's very uh, little
4: com. No. I won't.
0: I'm just sort of, I, I'm, I'm kind of squinting my way, wondering if we should also just talk about half hours. But since we're talking about rom-coms, Kaya, you have high fidelity and love life on your list.
4: Why do you need a boyfriend right now? This isn't Jane
1: Austen times. I'm sorry. I'm just having a small life panic. I just want to be the kind of woman who knows what she wants and she's not afraid to go after it. You should be loved for the little derp to de derp
2: that you are.
0: Talk about why, and then uh, I know the boys also want to chime in on these particular shows.
2: Yeah,
4: I mean, I just found both of those shows, like, so, so enjoyable to watch. High Fidelity, a little bit more than Love Life, but I mean, it's just kind of like, you take a really charming lead, and you surround them with really charming people, and it just makes, like, a really enjoyable television. And I mean, I think, like, Love Life in particular, like... I don't know if Sam will like this, but it was just so easy to watch. And it was just so, like, (laughs) glossy and everybody looks so nice and, like, the interior. Kaya,
3: Kaya, love life is on my list, Kaya. No, I know. know. And that's
4: why I'm interested to hear, like, why you liked it. I didn't say
3: a show needs to be hard to watch. I just I just said you should watch the show when you're watching the show. That's all.
0: <laughs> there. Are, by the way, people, I, I, we're not going to put the video up. There's there's just unfolded clothes everywhere in Sam's screen right now. <laughs> it's just
1: he just puts on the, the same black, new black sweatshirt every day. He's got 365 he of them.
3: But but wait, Kai, I have a question for because I know you said it's easy to watch. I also found the show easy to watch and a pleasure to watch. Did you find it easy to watch because you could do other things while you were watching it? Or did you just want to hang with the show? And, and,
4: um, and I think for love life. Yeah. I mean, uh, the story wasn't like super hard to follow if you missed like a few minutes and not like I was getting up and leaving the room, but I think I mentioned last year that I, you know, tend to look at my phone while I watch TV. So I'm, that's a habit. I'm really trying to break this year. <laughs> and yeah. And so it's like, If you miss a moment, like you're not going to be completely lost, but then also, I mean, I just like, I don't know. I felt like I could just watch like a hundred more of that. Like if they made like a hundred more episodes, like I would watch every single Uh one of them. And then I know they're doing season two with William Harper Jackson, who I, and I think that's going to be like really good. And yeah, it's just like a good show. Like I wouldn't call it great, but it was just like extremely charming. And just like really really fun to watch
1: to me both love life which would have been on my long list and high fidelity that which made my list they're like um pop standards and it you know the bones of the of the thing work already it's really just about who's singing the song and you put Zoe Kravitz in a situation where she has to choose between two guys and has a group of funny friends and an interesting job and it's just kind of like I'm pretty into it and like the the way they kind of like rooted it in you know, like a very contemporary New York City uh, vibe, I thought really, really just worked for the show. And I honestly, a lot of things were going against that show. And it's a shame it got canceled, but rebooting uh, a Nick Hornby novel and a John Cusack movie 20 years after the fact that was largely rooted in like a like male introspective experience and making it this part for Zoe Kravitz to play everything about it worked and uh, it's it's really one of the the true bummers of the year that 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 show's not going to be able to come back
4: yeah one of the absolutely. things
0: that, that I'm that I'm picking up on from you guys that I appreciate is for years we've talked about just having so much choice on television you could watch anything at any time but this year at least our lists are kind of reflective of the new reality that you can get pretty high quality servings of almost any cuisine you want um, yeah. that we were well serviced by TV in a way right because everybody likes rom-coms and they've been struggling at the movies in the last few years and then also this year you couldn't go to the movies but here you got you got stuff that actually scratched that same itch in a satisfying way but in a way that made sense for television the flip side to that in terms of things that we usually get at the movies is big budget franchise management and that's why we got to talk about mando show me
1: the one safety deemed such destruction must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi.
2: You expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. This is the way.
0: Which we're already talking about anyway, constantly week to week and just really enjoying it. And I think that we are certainly not alone in that. But Sam, you are the same age as uh, as Chris and I are. And you have, you know, a complicated relationship, I think, to both <laughs> nostalgia and big-budget franchise management on the big screen. The show is on your list. What does it do right?
3: You know, I think what you know, Favreau, it was really smart. So weirdly, I'm going to kind of contradict myself here. He kind of went old school mm-hmm. with the sort of form of storytelling here because I think Star Wars is such this big monstrosity now. It's so weighty with all the themes and the characters and the worlds that he just said, I'm going to focus this on this one lane. And it's a, what do you call it? Like a travel, a travel, uh, it's basically a travel log. I mean, I remember watching incredible Hulk, Bill Bixby back in the day. It reminds me a lot of that. There's a mission per episode. And uh, so it's perfect. for. So basically number one, he did not treat it like, eight-hour movie or nine-hour movie or however many episodes it is. He treated it like a television show. He gave sort of the respect to the episodic storytelling format that he uh, that he put it on. And, you know, I remember expecting, I don't know what you guys were expecting, but I remember when I first started seeing the pictures, I was like, okay, this is it. This is like the hard R-rated Star Wars that, that we've been like dreaming about since we were a little kid. And it, it's not that. In fact, it's pretty family friendly. I mean, very sort of almost obnoxiously so, family friendly with that cute baby Yoda. Um, but it <laughs> fuck, but it fucking works again, because he kept it simple, and made it about uh, the char- made it about the characters, and made it about this very simple relationship that was that's not could have easily been sentimental, not sentimental at all. And then, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this again as a knock on feature films. I really don't want to knock feature films. By the way, guys, just just for the record for the audience. I love going to the movies pre-pandemic. I went to the movies every weekend. I plan on doing that when it's safe again.
0: But this show... And don't I, try and walk said, it about, back.
1: You try you to try close uh, multiplexes, man. That's what you're doing here.
0: Just trying, trying <laughs> just to all You're all not them. welcome in Chicago, <laughs> in multiplexes. Taking
1: a wrecking ball to the new Beverly.
0: <laughs> um, the best
3: VFX I've seen in a long... I'm including... It's a it's a game changer, I mean, right? Yes. And, you know, I'm such a dork that I, you know, twisted John's arm and he, and he he invited me down to... They shoot that whole thing in a warehouse in Manhattan Beach somewhere yes. with with these LED screens. I and mean, they, they don't go anywhere. They go to a warehouse. And to, for it to fucking look as good as it does, and then I compare it to some of the movies that have... I assume bigger budgets, and for the VFX to just like uh, sort of outweigh them in such in such a radical way. I, I, I think it's this show's like phenomenal, and working on every level. I've yeah. been
1: thinking about Mandalorian for the last couple of weeks, just because of the quality of the last two episodes, especially. Now, when this episode comes out, there will have been another one since the uh, the Boba Fett the tragedy. Episode. But I, I've been thinking a lot about the Ahsoka Tano episode and and the tragedy, and I was thinking, you know, like. Basically, every Mandalorian episode has the same mechanics. It's like he has an initial quest. He shows up where he needs to be. The person who he's going to meet's like, I'll give you what you want, but you have to do this for me. And he's like, oh, twist my arm. And he does a side mission for that other character. And then at the end of the episode, typically finds out he has yet another step to go in his quest to help Baby Yoda or find more Mandalorians or whatever he's doing. And that's not altogether different than new hope and empire like the actual plot mechanics are still very very much rooted in star wars storytelling the difference between mandalorian and the sequels that we just kind of got through over the last six years or seven years is that mandalorian understands that what we really want out of star wars is to sit in the cockpit and hand baby yoda the little silver ball or we want the mandalorian character and ahsoka to hang out for a little while and get to know each other and walk around in circles around each other in a cool setting. We don't constantly need to be jumping in hyperspace from planet to planet every five seconds. And With that's a something bunch
3: of expository dialogue yeah. shoved in there. And, and I'm like, yeah. I, I,
1: I think that sometimes we mistake what it is we actually want out of these things. You know, we, we confuse it. Like I don't actually expect star Wars to answer any Epistemological or existential questions I have about heroism in the universe, or or anything. I actually just love the vibes, and that's what this show really is: is a return to Big Moss Isley mood. You know, like just hanging out in weird places with weird creatures while people give like Howard Hawksy dialogue back and forth to one another.
3: Yeah, it's great. It's also the with the music. I love that score, and it's like kind of a kind of a throwback to. Westerns, I think.
1: Yeah, Spaghetti I, I, Western. Spaghetti kinda, Westerns.
3: Yeah. I, I I just, I feel like, you know, he does not, uh, uh, what, what is it? He does not find the mythology precious. It's not about the mythology. Fuck the mythology. Like, fucking tell me a good story and I'll feel that. I'll feel that underneath. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like that's where some of these shows sometimes, when they take that too seriously and when they have to feel like they got to dole out pieces of the mythology to you every... I mean, he did none of that. And by the way, I mean, I guess we're talking spoilers here because you, yeah, you spoil yeah. the whole thing. I didn't know that. I didn't know that they were ever going to cross paths with the Jedi. But when I saw that episode and that title came up, the Jedi—that's how you reward me with the mythology. Yeah, tell me yeah. a good story. Don't even let me think about that. Let me care about these characters in the world. Let me marvel again at all these new terrains and worlds, like I, I remember feeling when I first saw the original uh, uh, Star Wars. Let me just marvel at that; these little nooks and crannies, and let my, let my imagination run wild. And then you slip in the Jedi on top of all of that. I mean, that's great. That that to me, I mean, he, I mean, he knows what he's doing. I mean, that that shows like really working on all cylinders because I don't think anybody expected that to come. And I think, in general, I think what Star Wars is based on is starting off with that. And the fact that they didn't need to, and that was just like the cherry on top. Yeah. I mean, you, you know the show's working then. I,
0: I, it's yeah. best case scenario because I think that when, certainly when when the Disney Plus was announced and like it was obviously going to be flooded with uh, content from the big brands. And as we're recording on Thursday the 10th, um, the apparently not really that retired Bob Iger is saying there's going to be 10 new Star Wars shows, 10 new Marvel shows, yada, yada, yada. The most cynical takeaway from that is, well, yeah, they're just, just going to print money. Like You just make more of the thing, and then you can make more returns from it. But what's interesting potentially is that it might allow some kind of cross-medium dialogue to do what you were speaking to, Sam, at the beginning, which is put things in the right shape boxes. You know, yeah. what story fits best where? And I am the farthest thing today's podcast has from Sean Fennessy, But <laughs> a perfect 90 minutes of story in a movie is probably the perfect delivery vehicle for story. But it has to be a 90-minute story or a 120-minute you know, story. And you know when you end up with things that are just in the wrong shape box, everyone's frustrated. And that's probably the gentlest criticism I'll give on this podcast about Rise of Skywalker. But that wasn't a two-hour and 15-minute movie. I mean, I'm not saying it was a TV show either, but it certainly wasn't that. And so hopefully as things become one in terms of what screen they're on hopefully we can start thinking of it as a dialogue and not just a monologue in terms of between tv and movies that maybe they can learn a little bit from each other as filmmakers feel more free to be like well this story is going to fit better here whereas a movie i'm gonna, i'm still going to make a movie but if i have something that is better suited to this medium right because as you said sam like queen's gambit they tried to make a movie for 40 years and thank goodness they didn't
1: To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile for more details.
2: This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong,
0: but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
4: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: Sam, you were talking about, as, as Andy's just mentioning the TV and movies thing, I, I thought we would be remiss if we didn't give you the floor to talk about Small acts for a second, which I think we could debate whether or not it should be on your list as a TV show, as a, on a Best TV podcast. But I also would love to hear your thoughts on what McQueen did there.
2: These are new types of human beings. They are not demoralized or defeated persons. They are leaders, but are rooted deep among those they lead.
4: We mustn't be victims, but protagonists of our stories.
2: Don't you
3: think it's time things were different?
4: As individuals,
1: we have an impossible battle. As a collective, we stand a chance. Well,
3: okay, so. On the one hand, and I think Steve McQueen, he came out and said these are films, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. this is not a TV show. But here's the thing: I'm judging small acts, so I'm not judging Mangrove, which is fucking fantastic, uh, or Lover's Rock. I- I'm judging the entire experience. And by the way, I mean, I mean, for not a TV show to be releasing an episode every week, <laughs> it feels a little odd, but. Yeah. For me, Small acts as, as um, again, whatever you want to, uh, that's the banner that these films are collected under, is no different than Black Mirror, Twilight Zone. These are standalone episodes, standalone stories, but they're all connected uh, by a theme. And in this case, A Time and Place uh, in London. And, and to, for me, I, I just, I feel like as a whole, it, for each, you know, if you want to judge each, film on its own they're fantastic but i think he's doing himself a disservice because as a series it's fucking it's fucking groundbreaking Mm -hmm. i mean this is what i'm talking about right here this what he's doing is changing the landscape of whatever you want to call episodic storytelling for whatever reason tv has become a pejorative that word if you say it to a serious filmmaker they want to throw up. I mean, don't ever say it around Christopher Nolan. I mean, don't ever say streaming around Christopher Nolan. He's going to like flip out. Right.
0: <laughs> don't but- <laughs> even be named Max and go near Christopher Nolan. <laughs> right.
3: But, but, but if you want to talk about a collection of feature films, you know, uh, surrounding a theme that's connected. Okay. Whatever you want to fucking call that, I call that episodic story film. But if you want to change that moniker to something else, My point is, is that he's redefining the possibilities here because, you know, unlike the rhythms of Twilight Zone or and again, I used to watch all those shows, you know, uh, Tales from the Crypt and Outer Bank, Outer Limits and uh, 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 Alfred Hitchcock. Sam, if you're
1: watching Outer Banks, you've come to the right podcast because Kai (laughs) and I are ready to talk about it.
3: That's that show. I have not seen that show, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. That's, it's is not that is
1: that That's pe- that is peak laundry folding show. <laughs> yeah,
4: I did. I literally did fold laundry to that show.
3: <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm folding laundry, but, um, but he's taking that formula of, you know, now I'm not going to do that around genre. I'm going to do that around theme. And it, it just, for me, it's so special. And to do it on the level that he's doing it, you know, to do it, to release them collectively like that. I think it's pretty extraordinary. And I get excited because again, I think you, you talk about, uh, have you guys seen it? It's not on any of your lists. Yeah. Right? I've seen, I've seen Mangrove and Lover's Rock. I can't are wait to disagreeing watch it. With, oh, you I haven't seen it. it. You haven't seen it. I just did. Chris, are you disagreeing with me? No, I mean, this? I
1: just did the big picture, the best of the year. And, and Adam and Sean both had, small acts movies on their list. And I would have considered it movies, Like just the same way that Soderbergh's putting out a movie tonight on HBO Max, I would call that a movie. I would consider like the the small acts, even though it's a collection to be movies. But I definitely love where you're coming from here. And I hope more people, more directors get an opportunity to do the kind of thing that McQueen is doing.
3: Are you, so you would have put it, you're just not considering it. In the TV, yeah, I mean, I think in the TV, list. He's it.
1: he's definitely one of like the five best directors alive, and, and, and that's and insane. His- By the I way,
3: just real quick aside, Widows, fucking great film, one of the best I, heist films I've ever I seen. I like Widows, and, uh, Widows, and no one talks about it.
2: No one it,
1: fucking
3: it, talks about it. It's crazy. I think it's going to have like a
1: five years from now, like people are obsessed with widows kind of thing because that that that's a movie that will stand the test of time because of just the sheer amount of quality that went into it.
3: I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival months before it came out, and I thought, oh my god, this is this is gonna, you're gonna, your head's gonna explode because you're a big heist yeah. movie fan, yeah, right? Yeah. And I just thought, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna do.
1: I'm also obligated to support whatever Colin Farrell does, you know.
0: <laughs> especially when he does it like that. Yeah. With that oh accent. my God. Um, Chris, I want to, um, a word that just came up before when we were talking about Mandalorian was uh, vibes. Ooh. Vibes are really key. I think to today's television landscape, because you can switch between services, but you can also just flip between vibes very intensely and kind of wonderfully. And that no, I don't know if any show was a vibe in some ways than zero, 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 which is oh on both God. the bar lists. <laughs>
2: This token transfers $31 million. As soon as the product leaves
1: Mexican
2: waters. The rest will be transferred when the shipment arrives at Joya D'Aro. Bigger risk than usual.
4: Bigger the risk, greater the profit.
0: It's not necessarily a posse vibe, but it is a very big and very heavy mood. And it was one of our, both of our favorites.
1: Uh, I can't remember what show me and our buddy Sam Donsky were talking about on text when I think I had expressed kind of some skepticism about some, some show that he liked. And he was like, lol, sorry, it's not about robbing cartels, <laughs> like, <laughs> which I think is sometimes, you know, fairly or unfairly like considered like the very thing in the world that I look for. Um, yeah, 000 for me was really cool on a number of levels. First of all, I thought it, it was one of the few shows that wound up on my list that recovered from some missteps in the beginning. So I thought that the first episode or two of 000 were like, okay, and I would definitely have just kept watching it. But that the season progressed to like near like operatic, you know, levels towards the end. And the the final two episodes, I think are two of my favorite episodes of the year. And in the same way that Sam's been talking about filmmakers taking advantage of of this opportunity to tell stories episodically, I thought that this show, one of the best shows that really took in the global stage that television can, can encompass now. Now, obviously, there's a lot of market forces driving that. Netflix wants shows that appeal to an international audience. Um, I'm sorry, Amazon wants the same. I think it helps if you're pitching a show, probably, to say, oh, and we could have like, this part of the show would appeal to a South American audience or a China audience or a European audience or whatever. Zero 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 was simply a story that needed to be told with this le- like wide of a canvas. And I thought, despite the fact that I think a lot of different people, uh, like obviously Maurizio Katz and, and, and Stefano Salima both worked on it. And, and there was several directors who worked on the show it felt like a singularity of vision no matter who you want to ascribe that vision to the music from Mogwai the cinematography the grittiness of the direction the distance it held its characters at so that you never felt as morally complicit i think in their behavior as, as you do sometimes when you watch shows that romanticize crime a little bit more but it's at the same time you felt like uh, you know it was very viscerally exciting to watch it I just thought it was a tremendous achievement on a number of levels in that way.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I loved watching it, but I really also like it for the reasons you were just uh, describing, Chris, that it really is a great placeholder and catch-all for one of the things that's most exciting about TV right now, which is just how fully global it is. And there are, you can, and and now people are realizing, the streamers are realizing, certainly as Pandemic. Uh, related delays start to pile up on their end. I feel like HBO Max just said one of their new categories is just going to be like international crime. Yeah. So of course I'm going to bookmark that. But like, whether it's me watching, (laughs) whether it's me watching Call My Agent on on Netflix, the French show, or I really loved watching Dark Season 3. I'm so
1: proud of you for wrenching that in. (laughs) <laughs> I had to,
0: but, but also like dark, a show that Sam first turned yeah. me onto a yeah. few years ago, season three, loved watching it. Didn't make my top 10 this year, but would have made like a, made a long list. It's exciting to see familiar stories, whether it's Chris's beloved cartel robbing or my uh, beloved agent calling told through the lens of different cultures and different perspectives. And as to your point, Chris, zero, 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 Italian director, Stefano Salima, Mauricio Katz, brilliant Mexican writer, the most incredible score from the Scottish band Mogwai. The best episodes Unreal. are filmed filmed in Africa and are set in Africa. And the most incredible thing of all, all of it filmed in a warehouse in Manhattan <laughs> Beach. <laughs> I mean, and they made it look like that. Even the boat scenes. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: amazing. and I would also just say that I don't know necessarily that uh, a character like Manuel, who becomes not quite the star of the show, but the, one of the two lead characters or three lead characters at the end by the end of the show is on a prestige drama five years ago. I just don't right. know if they make a show about that guy uh, and and spend as much time interrogating that character.
0: Also, star-making performance. TV can still do that for Harold Torres. Yeah, Taurus, in that yeah absolutely.
1: Sam,
3: did you see that at all? I... Wait, did I? I don't think I did. I think I... I, you, I remember you texting me about it. Yeah. I, think I added, added it to my list but I, to, to watch, but I never, I never got a chance to check so- it out. Chris I, and I, I. I'm excited oh, by it, though. No, no, I'm just saying. Go
0: ahead. It gets, it's, it's like you're listening to the podcast, but you're here. <laughs> uh, I was going to pivot because Chris and I have spent the last few weeks raving about industry and talking to the creators of industry. Fuck we yeah. love industry. But it was so cool. I was when so excited. It appears it on, your list. on Sam's list and on Kaya's list. Kaya has no choice. She has
1: been indoctrinated into it. Yeah, but
0: she, but Kaya (laughs) is very comfortable disliking things that we make her. But your guys'
4: enthusiasm for that show (laughs) over the past, like, like it literally wasn't going to make my list like three weeks ago. But then just like listening to you guys talk about it week after week, I was like, I have to put it on. It's like
1: Wild Wild Country, though. We're like, we're just like, you will believe in industry.
3: Why are you here?
4: I think this is the closest thing to a meritocracy there is. Wake up! People know what they're joining. I only want to be judged on the strength of my abilities.
3: Can I say, Maya Hala, uh, I got to give a shout out to her. She's She's incredible. uh, She's Myhala Harold, yeah, incredible performance. She, she actually Emmy Emmy uh, directed her in her Modern Love episode, and I, I don't think, I don't think this is know Sam, how, Sam
0: is no Sam is no David Benioff, so he's referring to his talented, <laughs> wonderful wife Emmy Rossum, who directed an episode <laughs> of the anthology series Modern Love, starring Myhala.
3: Myhala, who's I Emmy? Mean, Emmy's just amazing at casting, right? Because she was the one that encouraged me to think about Rami when we were looking for Elliot's for Mister Robot. But my holla, I mean, just out of nowhere, that was
1: a tough break for me because I, I know that I was, I was down to the final two. There, I know, but that's I know, okay. Chris,
3: you don't need to bring that up right now, but no, my, my holla, honestly, her, And I think you guys, again, you guys have talked about this already, but that relationship that she has with Eric, um, I can't remember the actor's name.
1: It's Ken it was, Lung. Yeah.
3: So good. So special. So unique. I mean, you know, I don't want to get into the I'm not going to try and pull a race card here, but, but I do feel like part of the reason why I'm excited by this season of television is the points of views that we're getting to experience. That is the goldmine of storytelling. Uh, that, that is the untapped gold. I keep, keep saying this to people because I feel like in the industry right now, diversity is like high on everyone's priority list. But it's often viewed through the wrong lens. It's like, okay, let's take this script we've already written mm-hmm. and just make the main character black or make, you know, make the main character gay. It's, that's not the point. The point is that you gotta like look through that world, through that uh, perspective, through that background. And a lot of shows on our list, I mean, small acts, I may destroy you. Hopefully we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah. this show industry. And it's never so pointed. I mean, that's the thing. It's not about, it's, it, the, the show doesn't suddenly become about race, but it, but it definitely through that lens, you get to experience, you know, again, for, for, in the sake of in the example of industry, uh, it's pretty much a workplace drama, right? It's not, that's, it, you know, the setting and the way and the sort of the setup for the show is not incredibly unique. We've seen that before. Young person joins a, a world, a workplace. And then we we sort of hang with with that person and their and their colleagues and their coworkers. But because it's that's done super story. through that, that that that's a lot of shows. That's the fucking <laughs> office. But because it's done through the le- this unique new lens that we've typically not seen in not just TV films in any, a lot of forms of storytelling, it becomes immediately exciting and just sort of leaps off the screen. I'm so. Happy that they renewed it for a second season because I, I I honestly was worried it didn't seem like it was getting a lot of ratings. Emmy and I I know that they dumped like five like the rest of the episodes like did, right they put up three and
1: then they put up they did three in a in a in a weekly we, and then they put up the last five on HBO Max.
3: So this is we we started it we were not gonna binge the whole thing couldn't stop yeah. watched the whole thing in a row.
1: Kyle, what was it that kind of turned it for you? Because I know you said that you were like it wouldn't make my list if I had just. Just off the bat, but our enthusiasm convinced you. But what what was it really beyond us just talking about it all the time?
4: I mean, I think it really picked up speed in like the last three episodes, which I think were uh, Nutcracker. Uh, <laughs> and then there was one in between Nutcracker and the finale, right? Pre-crisis activity, I think, is oh
1: my the gosh. second to last one. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So like before, like the first few episodes, like it did kind of feel to me just kind of like a lot of drugs, lot of sex let's just like throw a lot of like gratuitous stuff at the screen and like use that to like make it pop and like make it like this is not just like a workplace drama but by the end when you're just really like why are these people doing the these things like the way they're doing them and I've seen some criticism of the show being like the motivations of these characters were not clear. And it's like, I don't think that the motivations of the characters were clear to themselves. And I think that's like what it made it interesting. Like, especially in like spoiler alert in the final episode when, uh, Harper. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm
0: sure Harper does something. Yeah. I'm I'm rationing it. I I love it so much. (laughs) Now that it's been renewed. I will finish the season. But I, I was worried that it was all I had left.
1: Dude, I was actually... The other day, I was... The the, the score for the show is amazing. It's, it's oh, by... I, I, yeah. was,
0: I wanted to
3: shout that out. That's, by Nathan, Nathan McKay. McKay. Yeah, and I was listening it's to the score, right.
1: actually, while I was taking a walk. And this was after we had... Uh, after I finished the season, I think maybe it was like Sunday night. And I was bumped because I was walking around and I was like, I wonder... If I, it was almost like melancholy because I was thinking about the show not coming back, and now it's like almost ecstatic because I know it is coming back. It's, it takes on this whole new quality to to know that we're going to get to spend more time with these characters.
0: Let, let's make the jump that Sam was suggesting and talk about "I May Destroy You." I just lost your phone. I don't know. So,
2: How did you get
1: that? I just wanted to know how how did. Last night end,
3: i got
2: this thing in my head of like this guy. Yeah, Cause now you're you're calling it something that I never. How are oh, you doing?
3: I'm great as long as I'm around people. I did to, uh, you know, just gather the pieces, any of the pieces.
0: Which was number one for me. Number one for Sam, I believe.
3: It was correctly number one for everyone but Chris. (laughs) And Wait, it is objectively the number one show of the year, and it's not even close.
0: We'll let Chris defend himself in a minute, but first let's not steal Michaela's spotlight and basically say that, you know, to to your point, Sam, about the the great... I mean, still truly, even after these last two years, the great market inefficiency in storytelling is still a, a full diversity of perspective. And... To Chris's point about, especially this year, wanting to travel outside of our homes however we possibly can, I just think no show was a more titanic achievement on both of those fronts because this was a show set in our world, at least pre-pandemic world, obviously a different country and a different city, but it was a complete whole-body trip to one woman's experience with her family, with her friends, with her life, with her work, with her art, with her body. Uh, And it was, I mean, it's a staggering achievement. It was a whole uh, window into another existence that was done with such style, such skill, such wit and grace and emotion. I mean, that was, we talked about it week to week, but it could have been... it's hard to do any of the individual things that that show did well, and it did all of them well. From all of them. introducing new actors and stars right before our eyes to taking us to parts of London a city that Chris likes to say he's been to a lot but that we may have not seen before to you know dealing with some of the most searing subject matter imaginable and doing so with just like bountiful humanity and humor. You know, I it's a staggering it's just a staggering achievement that I kind of still can't believe existed because week after week, we were like, how much longer can she keep this up? And she kept it up.
3: She, I mean, the layers that she was, you're talking about sexual assault. You're talking about the dealing of the trauma from that. And you're talking about consent in all of these different nuanced, subtle ways. And I know I'm, 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 these are weighty, heavy topics that shows are so scared to deal with and face. And when they do, it's done with such delicacy because it's so fragile. And she doesn't do any of that. She handles it. She, ha- she just goes right into it, dives right in deep into it. And then it's not homework. You're, it's entertaining. It's funny. It's relatable. The performances are outstanding. The filmmaking is like on a... Uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, the staggering achievement. I am being entertained while we're talking about something as personal and as traumatic as sexual assault. How the fuck do you do that? How the fuck does that person do that? And she and, and by the way, the other thing that the, about that show, she does it and it feels effortless. Mm-hmm. I, in, I enjoy like, you, you know, Kaya, you were talking about how you it's an easy watch. That show's an easy watch. It could not, it should not have been any, I mean, for me. There's some I, moments. Okay. No,
0: I know what there, you mean.
1: There's
3: some moments. But it was an easy watch. I mean, those are, that's one of those shows that Emmy and I clicked on. The I mean, could not wait. Waiting on the HBO app to see when that. Oh, yeah. I, I should say what, what
0: I mean is, even though I knew it would be challenging at times, I was eager to do it. You know, it, it it was not, it was never homework. And that's, was also, to like, me, that's even more Just impressive. in the
1: same way, like you would, I, I know this is a strange comparison, but in the same way that you would be excited to get a new episode of Lost or a new episode of Game of Thrones, like I legitimately had no idea where that show was going. Like, oh my God. and yeah. and the thing that I, I you know, their, their London setting probably unites them a little bit, industry, and, and I may destroy you. But those two shows are very exciting for me because they feel... Like what it feels like to be alive right now, you know. Like it's pretty rare for culture to catch up with the times. You know, usually you're like lagging behind a little bit by the time the ship turns. And you know, I mean, you get lots of shows that very poorly integrate iPhone usage in, or it's like text bubbles and stuff like that. That, but these two shows definitely had an energy and an immediacy and a and a fluency with what I think people feel like when they are out in a city and doing things and the dangers and the thrills that come along with that. I mean, Kai, I don't know. I don't know if you have stuff you wanted to add about Destroy You because I know it's your favorite show.
4: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I would just say like, I think it was just so incredibly powerful and impressive the way that Michaela Cole was able to take like an incredibly personal story. Like this literally was mine from her life. Like she was sexually assaulted while taking a break from writing and just create something that was like, so expansive in what it covered and so applicable, like you said, to like the human experience and like how it feels to be alive right now. And like touch on consent, touch on love, touch on friendship, touch on the black experience, touch on reaction to social media. I mean, I think by far my favorite episode was the one where uh, she exposes like her help fellow writer for like taking the condom off during sex. And it's like, That is just never something you've seen on TV before. And it was such a powerful experience for her in the moment. But then after that, you see her like going to social media to like affirm what she just did. And it's just like the whole show just felt like so intentional, so precise. Just like, yeah, just extremely, extremely well done.
3: I want to add, I I just want to piggyback on that for a second because you brought up social media and, uh, and, you know, Chris, you brought up the tech of it all. That was also done so mm-hmm. well as to not even date itself, even though it's literally talking about Twitter and Instagram and we're, we're having the text bubbles. It just felt so lived in. Every it felt baked into the it,
1: characters' lives. Is, yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. It was, uh, it was not just a superficial way to get characters communicating. It was part of their identity, part of how they talked. Uh, you know how they interacted with one another their storylines were sort of shaped by what happens on social media in a way and not in like a celebrity kind of way in a way that i think people you know just walking about would be affected by it anyway again yeah i think the
4: funniest scene in that series was when she's in the grocery store checking out and her car gets declined and the checkout person, like, take the selfie of her. Is like, haha, this, like, famous Twitter person. Like, her card just got declined. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what else should we talk about here? What else do we have to, to go over?
0: Well, I thought that we could, we could begin to turn the corner, but we just talked about our number one show. Uh, we need to give a little space for Chris to defend his number one, but also for me to support him because I love the show too. And I had originally suggested we talk about Better Call Saul along with Ozark, which is on Chris's list and Kaya's list under the rubric of like, let's not overthink this, because for as much as we've spent this podcast talking about the new bold new directions of storytelling on television, et cetera, et cetera, those are different examples, but taken from a similar playbook and one that still works when it's done right.
3: I can't go back to being Jimmy McGill. That name is burned. This is a fresh start. This is how I move forward. And I like it.
4: We all make our choices. And
3: those choices, they put us on a road. Sometimes those choices seem small, but they put you on the road. You think about getting off, but eventually you're back on it.
1: So there, yeah. I would actually also bring the Crown into this too. Um, yeah, right. Because I think that Crown Ozark and Saul, in different ways, did a kind of classic 2010 style of television in an in, you know at an elevated level. Ozark's obviously a very pulpy, at times, implausible show. I thought that the third season was like an incredible revival for it. I thought it dipped a little bit in the second season and that the third season was absolutely nail-biting and and just white-knuckled it through. And often in later seasons of, of dramas, when they try to bring in a new character, you wind up kind of just distracting it from the real reason people are watching the show in the first place. And Ozark kind of broke that rule by introducing this uh the character that's plays Laura Linney's brother, and it's Tom Pelfrey, who's plays Joseph Mankwich in in uh Mank. And he is unbelievable on the show. Like just a complete live wire. One of my favorite performances of the year. So I really I I, I wanted to shot that out and include Ozark in my list. Also, I fucking love Ozark. And then Saul <sighs> I don't know. I mean, like you guys have me second-guessing myself a little bit because of the unanimity of your choices here. Good. But uh, I think that Saul is on another level from basically all TV. Like I, I think that the story Saul's telling is in some ways more impressive than the one that Breaking Bad told. And the way in which it is working towards a point in time that we already know is coming, but still is managing to keep the suspense there and the level of writing, I think, is is kind of unparalleled. The the intricacy of the writing, the depth of the characterizations, and the performances across the board. Specifically, the ones I think we've shouted out over and over again, which is the trio of Odenkirk, Racy Horn, and 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 this year Tony Dalton, who played Lalo. I just, I don't know. I mean, I was getting real Sopranos fumes and and Mad Men fumes and and Breaking Bad fumes when I was watching the show. I was like, this is what. This is about as good as you can make an hour-long drama on TV. Um,
3: do, you, do you think it's better? Are you are you I just, one of those? On the, is it better than Breaking Bad? Is it going to exceed Breaking Bad?
1: I'm pretty like uh, open about the fact that I find like the numerical like slotting of this stuff to be pretty silly. Like, I think that you can have like a group of show. Like to me, it would be more interesting almost to look at our top tens and say like the tiers. Like. Mm-hmm. which two or three shows are just clearly a cut above and if we were doing that i would probably put destroy you and saul in a category of their own that No uh, no um,
3: i meant you you reference breaking bad i was i was asking do you think it will surpass breaking bad in terms in your eye in terms of the better being the better show
1: I'll say that there are characters on on saul that i am more invested in than almost any character that was on Bad with a few exceptions. Wow.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I also think that I, I just don't, it, echoing Chris's disdain of the of, of comparing things, like, to me, it's just like you can like a band and you can like their early work and you can appreciate their later work. I just feel like what's in, part of the incredible thing about Saul is watching the way um, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould and their regular group of collaborators on all sides of the camera have just refined their skills and the directions they've refined them in. And they're very different shows and they hit different pleasure centers. And obviously they've they've built their audiences and their fandom quite differently. But I really enjoy, I mean, you can't separate them because I don't think I would be watching Better Call Saul if we hadn't loved Breaking Bad, but you also, it wouldn't exist if we hadn't had Breaking Bad. And so I just think it's a pretty unique achievement and just the level of technical skill it's obviously under different uh, economic settings and less limited than Queen's Gambit, but those are the two shows that I would hold up and be like, every department is just in sync, you know, in a way that from a production standpoint, having gone through it once, like I really admire that. Also, it's nice to go back to New Mexico every every That's night. That's right, again, <laughs> you know, sweet old I think Sam 2. Sam only made one trip, so we didn't really do the did. full. This is uh, true. Sh- should we do? We we've done great. I think we've done a great job with our timing, with our conversation. Should we do a lightning round around the horn? Because there are a couple things on each of our lists that we might want to champion or even some honorable mentions we want to say.
3: I definitely want to talk about my second favorite performance of the year. Do it. Which is which is Ethan Hawke in The Good Lord. Yeah,
0: please. Just you've, just missed our we, list. Yeah, Andy
3: and I fucked list, anyway. up
1: because I think we fell behind on Good Lord. And then we got you kind of... <laughs> it,
3: it just, yeah, you, you fucked up. It's a fucking great show. Again, tackling a subject like slavery and but having incredible like being on an entertaining level that it had no right to be on. It's not an austere period piece. It is going for it. And at the center of it is this incredible, ferocious performance by Ethan Hawke. I mean, I, I I'd be hard pressed to name a better performance. It's so good. It's so riveting. It is the definition of can't look away. I mean, talking about things, uh, uh, you know, talking about us being distracted. I, and by the way, Kaya, just for the record, I have, yeah, I've been known to go on Twitter, even when I'm watching a show, like, for, you know,
4: <laughs> you even don't shows have about, like a phone jail. You
3: put your phone no, in. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, but, but, but you know what? It's almost a dare sometimes to the show because there are some shows that I can't do it. And that is one of those shows. And honestly, it's because of Ethan. I mean, Ethan in that fucking show just never makes me want to look away. And it was, just, it was a fake feeling I had with Onion in Queen's Gambit. See it for the performance alone, but I gotta yeah. tell you, that's another show on every level. I think they're in sync. They know exactly what they're doing. It's such an incredibly unique, interesting tone and a daring tone for, for the subject matter. I encourage everyone to watch. I think it's kind of like an unseen gem. I I've I've heard a little bit when it first came out and then kind of dissipated. I hope the god it comes back around and people start to see it cuz it's it's really it's really special.
0: It's really worth people's time. It's a really strong show anchored by as you said it's just an out of this world performance. Um I going through the remnants of my list. I mean I I love I love what we do in the shadows. I came to it late. I just think I love how silly it is. I love how funny it is. My children who are not allowed to watch it because it's mostly about cursing and extracting vampire semen um, <laughs> <laughs> heard us talking about it and they love it. And they run around the house saying, bat human form. Like it's just a great thing to have in my life and I'm grateful for it. And even though we don't talk about it, it's nice to have a show like that that can just offer so much pleasure and entertainment. And I do want to shout out two things that may have slipped beneath people's radars, although I tried to bring them onto the radars earlier in the year. Betty on HBO is just a love letter to New York and to uh, young women skateboarding. And it is so fun and so loose and such a great high quality hang. And in the early days of the pandemic, it just, as Chris was saying earlier, it just transported me uh, as a young woman skateboarder myself, um, (laughs) no, just as someone who misses New York and misses youth. And it was such an easy, wonderful hang and it got renewed. And I'm excited about that. And quick shout out to Unorthodox on Netflix, which was a fascinating and beautifully told uh, miniseries about a woman who basically escapes from a very oppressive life in the uh, religious Hasidic Jewish Satmar community of Brooklyn and to Germany. Incredible performance by Shira Haas. Um, great job by Anna Winger and her whole team who also made the Deutschland series. So that's that's. I just burned out my list. What else you guys got that you want to shout out? In I, I got moments?
3: I got pen fifteen, which was so close, and I, I kind of like oscillate back and forth. It wasn't on either either of your lists, right? No, no one's list. No,
0: listed. great show,
3: great show, hilarious. I also Dave was actually on my list. I don't. Dave, know, did it make Dave is long? so
1: fucking funny. Dave is so on my, my long good. list. Oh,
3: yeah. oh, but it's not on your top ten. No, did not make. Uh, Kaya didn't didn't make your top ten. No. I've never seen it. Uh, I think it's so good. When uh, I, I don't really, uh, I don't really LOL a lot when I <laughs> when I watch comedies. I just, I'm just that person, you know. Does LOL wait?
0: Did, does LOL stand for layout laundry?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Got it. But I'm 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 usually I'm usually the guy that yeah you know, smiles when a good joke goes by. But th- this this show this show it. Will fucking make you laugh. I think it's. I think it's so good. It's also like weirdly a comedy. I gotta put my phone down. I mean, usually with comedies, you can kind of, you know, again, you're not necessarily trying to follow the details. But Dave, it's it's also it's got great visual wit. It's not just about the dialogue, the way they compose the shots and play off certain things. It's it's really really good and very creative. I mean, some some of those sequences. That they the surreal sequences that they do are are, are great. And then I I, I wanted to bring. I mean, Flight Attendant Emmy and I are watching right now is just a fucking blast. And I gotta I gotta I gotta like give credit to Kaylee Cuoco. I've never seen an episode of The Big Bang Theory, but man, is she fucking She's tremendous! Like
1: a really really good
4: comic actress.
3: I mean, yeah. just fucking so fun to watch.
4: Kai, are you watching that? Yeah, I, I'm really, really enjoying it. I've also never seen an episode of Big Bang Theory. Probably never will. Uh, and she's just like a total force. I jammed
1: it. a couple out on one of my transatlantic flights to London. You know, I've watched. I've watched- <laughs>
0: <laughs> really, I thought you just like took some ketamine and vibed. No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to the industry soundtrack and let the let the chemtrails take me.
3: <laughs> um. Wait. The other thing I wanted to say because. Kaya, you had cheer on your list. And I know we don't usually do unscripted. Right. Uh, well, I
4: blame Chris because I asked Chris specifically if I could put something unscripted on my list. And he said uh, yes.
3: Of course. Okay. Of course
4: it was so, Chris's fault. Kaya it's producer's
1: um, preference in this case. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but but wait a minute. Ta- let's talk about just real quickly. Lightning Round on series, The Last Dance, which is another one of those shows that I could not wait for the next episode. There's a great uh, crime docuseries on Showtime that I don't think any, I've not heard anyone Talk about, called Outcry uh, Andy, you probably Shouldn't watch it because you, you have kids It is a great, great, great Docu-series, you're going to get sucked, it's like one of those Where you're going to get sucked in The Vow, which I know I know it had some, some maybe That was of, so
4: long If you want to talk about, long. like totally. They totally. literally had, like, MacBook Screensavers <laughs> with, like, voiceovers <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sam, did you watch *Wilderness of Air*?
3: I did not. Well, should I write this down?
1: Yeah, it's on Hulu. It's it's based on an Errol Morris book, and it is it's pretty great.
3: The last shout out, but I'm curious because I know you guys liked it, and I think I had a weird feeling about this show too. *The Outsider*.
1: Oh, how it. how that was close like my was number it eleven. To it's like 12 or 13. Yeah, it's pretty high up there.
0: I had no reason for leaving it off. It wasn't any deficiency in its part. We loved watching it. We loved talking about it. We loved the performances. Um, I kind of felt that way about The Great, too. You know, I, I really enjoyed that show. Really liked the performances. It just didn't... Neither of them cracked the 10 over the, the what I had. Yeah.
3: That's a good year, guys. It's been a the bo- we didn't even talk,
0: We spent weeks talking about The Boys, a show Chris and I really enjoyed. Yeah, just barely missed my list too. Like you were right, Sam. When we first suggested doing it this year, I I actually thought it would be not so hard because I knew what I loved and loved more than anything else. But we could have easily done fifteen or twenty. I think this year. The the only
1: thing uh, that I feel like we should chat about one more time before we let Sam go, and I don't know if he like if he got a chance to see it, but the three of us loved it. It was normal people, and that was on all three of our lists.
3: Well, it was to me. I I love the performances more than the story, and it was one of those shows where it kind of piled up. And I like, I think I saw two or three. And honestly, the one thing that got me off the train a little bit was they used uh, a needle drop. Yaz's uh uh, the fuck is it called? Only you, only you, which was used perfectly in the office the british office christmas special you know weirdly uh, it was used
0: perfectly in the americans too a show well, i know no, everyone no, here no. loved
3: again the british office was prior to any of that and i think it should retire with the office british uh, uh uh the british office christmas special but yeah it was one of those where i didn't feel compelled to go back to and i i know i know lots of people lots of people love that show i did love the performances though i thought the two of them were great
1: yeah i thought it was amazing
4: that show was, really was just like show. specifically made for me. <laughs> like I really love the book and I was like really highly anticipating it.
1: And it lived up to it. Yeah.
4: Um. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I like, I think I'm more mad at the plot than like any, the show didn't do anything wrong. I'm just mad at the it's plot. It's just that
1: you just like these, these crazy kids need to work yeah, it out. I, would,
4: I just want like a little bit more communication between those two, but it's fine.
0: <laughs> what, what's, what's fun. And maybe this is a good as place as any to end is just returning to the one of the points we started with which was just not only was it was it a great year but it was a really pleasurable year for tv and whether it was pandemic related or not like i think chris and i often judge maybe this isn't fair and this is very specific to our experience on the podcast but we often judge tv on just how much fun we can have when it's on talking about it you know getting feedback seeing the memes etc etc and looking even over my list and there are other examples on your guys's list as well but like between Mandalorian industry um better call Saul normal people queen's gambit like and then even going further into things like the boys like these were fun shows to watch they were really fun shows to cover and tv is it it's not it's not the only thing tv does well but building community like that is one of the things that it does best and this was a great year for that
3: and i you know the one thing i, I want to just add on to that is I didn't get the glut of prestigious shows that are trying to be serious and win awards. It feels like, right. especially when they tackle serious subject matters, it feels like they just shrugged all that off and said, we're here to entertain, we're here to tell a story, engage people, and and, and that doesn't mean we're going to uh, shortchange the, the the seriousness of what we're exploring, but they didn't sacrifice the entertainment for that. I I, I felt a sense that people we're a little looser, a little riskier, a little more, uh, there's a lot more experimentation.
0: Well, it, it's not just experimentation. I wonder if it's also expertise. And what I mean by that is like one of the unsung heroes of TV this year is Ido O'Brien, who is now the world's most famous intimacy coordinator. And she worked on Normal People. And I, is, she, is she on Industry too? I keep seeing her name in British shows. And one of the reasons why that matters is not just for the comfort level of the actors and the filmmakers, but like, TV shows are talk, are doing sex again. And that's an important part of life and storytelling. And they're building it naturally into the storytelling. Similarly, like you could say, oh, we don't want to touch issues of race or class or, or sexual assault. But Michaela Cole is saying all of those things are natural to who I am and to my natural storytelling voice. And so I'm going to do them. And so they don't feel made for prestigious entertainment or made for the, the same shelf you put your Emmy on. They just feel made for the times and 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 made from the heart. And I feel like that is something to just lift up out of this year and sort of champion, and hopefully we'll see a lot more of it going forward. Yes, Absolutely. more totally sex. Agreed. More sex. That's what I said. <laughs> Should we
1: just <laughs> list off our top tens just so we have them for audio posterity, really quick?
0: Yeah. Sure. let's Sam, go, go
1: for it. You go. You go first.
3: Ten to one. Ten. Love life. Nine. Queen's Gambit. Eight. The Good Lord Bird. Seven. Dave. Six. Industry. Five. Mando. Four. I was, I was pointing to you, Chris. Mando. Force. Mando, have you seen axe.
1: Small Axe? There's a tremendous debate about whether it's cinema or television. <laughs> Who can say? By the way... It's, it's sumptuous, sumptuous list. evocation of London.
0: What a pro, uncorking that after 90 minutes.
3: I, I, I just recently discovered there is a Reddit thread called... Chris Ryan heads or so. Do you go, do you know about this?
0: <laughs> oh, I've seen what this. What the
3: fuck is going? We got to get out of Twitter. How did you find this? Got I, I, Someone tweeted at me.
2: Oh god. Fucking Reddit.
3: Some do you? I mean, Chris, do you go on this and post messages and? Speak
2: I appreciate to your the support.
3: Heads?
1: <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that I've seen that Reddit thread, but I appreciate the support from all um, of our listeners.
3: <laughs> wow, twenty twenty. What a special special year. Has as I've been. Has that been around before 2020?
1: I, I have no idea, man. <laughs> it's okay. really a project I've been working on with my friends at Dominion <laughs> to, to get the word out about some of my political beliefs. Um, anyway, you were three, saying Mandalorian number six.
3: Four small acts, as you as you, uh, as you shouted. Uh, three Fargo, two devs, and then one I may destroy you. Devs
1: pretty high. Andy, what's your top ten?
0: 10, Unorthodox. 9, What We Do in the Shadows. 8, Mando. 7, Industry. six zero 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 five 5, Betty. 4, Betty Call Saul. 3, Normal People. <laughs> 2, The Queen's Gambit. 1, I May Destroy You.
1: Kaya, you're up.
4: 10, Ozark. 9, Search Party. 8, Industry. 7, Love Life. 6, The Queen's Gambit. 5, Cheer. 4, Betty. 3, Normal People. 2, High Fidelity. 1, I May Destroy You.
1: I'll wrap us up. I have 10 Ozark, nine High Fidelity, eight The Crown, seven The Mandalorian, six Queen's Gambit, five Normal People, four Zero Zero Zero, three Industry, two I May Destroy You, one Better Call Saul. So that's, we have a lot of overlap, a great TV year, a great TV pod. Sam Esmail, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, as always. Guys. And uh, stay safe and thank you so much, man.